It is Wednesday, May 4th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaaf. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And also joining us today are a pair of first-time guests. One is a former analyst for FTN, now one of the primary football dudes at Fantasy Pros. And I learned this morning an avid supporter of Lions head coach Dan Campbell. Derek Brown, (laughs) thank you for joining us today. Oh, man, I didn't think that was going to be part of the intro. But yeah, bet the uh, overs for the Lions win totals. RIP my mentions for the rest of the day. Um, thanks, guys. So this is going to be a blast, man. I'm ready to mock. I mean, we've got all these um, landing spots for these players and stuff. So I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and I mean, once I saw the second tweet about Dan Campbell, I knew I had to mention it. And <laughs> if I'm about to draft against somebody, I want to I want to give him a little push on the title. Oh, I don't need that as part of my brand. Dear Lord, help me. <laughs> You can find the remaining member of our quartet on the Rotoviz Stealing Bananas pod, on the Ship Chasing pod, or just on his very own Substack, Stealing Signals. You can check his Twitter timeline for the Cliff's Notes version of the AJ Brown Jalen Hurts bromance. Ben Gretsch, great to have you with us today as well. Yeah, that was, I think I mentioned on Twitter, that was a highlight of my day the other day, finding that out. Apparently, they. We got a little Disneyland narrative. They've gone to Disneyland together. Jalen Hurts, apparently the godfather of AJ Brown's daughter and was at uh, uh, her second birthday party recently. Wow. And they were throwing, you know, playing catch just a couple weeks ago. I mean, you don't have to worry about, you know, the, all the data that says that wide receivers changing teams don't usually perform (laughs) well on new teams because he's already, you know, he's already best buds with his new quarterback. So (laughs) we're good to go. Yeah. Screw the uh, Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford breakfast narrative. We've got BFF for real over in Philadelphia. I mean, I guess this year's Cooper Cup is AJ Brown, huh? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you can't argue with Disneyland. There's not a Disneyland input into the model. That's all I could say. That's what we're looking for is outliers here. So, of course, the NFL draft is behind us. The big trades of night one are behind us. That means the spotlight in the fantasy realm is squarely on dynasty rookie drafts, no matter what underdog tries to say about it. And that means it's time to shred our pre-draft rookie rankings and change absolutely everything. Or it's time to tell certain NFL teams how wrong they were and draft the guys we liked anyway. Rather than just talk about the rookies, though, Jared, you and I, decided we'd like to bring in a couple of analysts that we respect and actually draft it out. Last year it was Matthew Friedman, Hayden Winks. Jared, this year we've got Derek and Ben. Why don't you tell folks a little bit more about what we're doing here? Yeah, we're mock drafting. I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't like to draft, right? It's much more fun than just talking about these guys. I've been talking to you for, what, two, two damn months about all these rookies. So I wanted to bring in some other guys and, you know, get, get their perspectives. That's right. So extra people to yell at instead of just yelling at each other across the Draft Sharks cottage at the getaway. So – As I mentioned, we're going to do a two-round mock draft here. We're going to go 12-team style, so we're each basically running three teams. What that means is we're not really paying attention to what else is on our team and probably just taking the players that we like the best. One more added wrinkle for this year, it's super flex because that is gaining popularity. It adds some strategy, so we'll see, especially this year where the NFL surprised us by how little it liked a QB class that nobody liked heading into the draft. Adds more strategy here, so we'll see how many... Of these quarterbacks going round one, if any, how many go by the end of round two? Going to be two rounds, going to be 12 teams. We are making no assumptions about what we already have rostered. Uh, Ben, is that the way that you should handle a dynasty rookie draft anyway? Is not 
paying too much attention about what's already on your roster and just chasing the best players? I, I mean, generally, I would say that, yes, this is a really interesting year because we didn't get great landing spots. We didn't get great draft capital with the quarterbacks, both the top rookie running backs, who I like a lot, land in backfields with another talented back in Michael Carter and Rashad Penny and on offenses that don't project to be like top 10 offenses necessarily. So that's not ideal, a committee and a bad offense for running backs. A lot of the receivers landed in questionable spots. I feel like there's this widening gap. We talk about in Stealing Bananas a lot between kind of the have and have not offenses. I mean, even Drake Leonard and Traylon Burks, who everyone loved their landing spots, they landed on kind of have not offenses, sort of more run heavy, not these offenses that are more modern, aggressive, spread with the good quarterbacks that we're seeing at the top. And then you have the guys like Sky Moore that land in, in one of those types of offenses. You have Christian Watson landing with Green Bay. And so I think it it like narrowed the, the gap between each of the different positions. And, and it feels very flat. So I think this is a year certainly where whether I'm in contention with my roster or whether I'm rebuilding, I'm going to attack it differently. There's guys that I like that I, I like their long-term profile and their talent, but maybe not their situation is great for year one. There's other guys that, I think could pop right away in year one because they're in these great offenses and in much better situations. Derek, how much do you care about what's on your dynasty roster heading in? And how much do you tend to adjust for landing spots once we see the NFL draft? Uh, I mean, it, it comes into play. I mean, for me, a lot of the, the especially the early rounds, it comes down to just take BPA. Um, now, whether you want to parse through like contract situations, talent profiles, um, or even draft capital, because you know, th this year there's a lot of different flavors, and I think like with the draft, we had some guys surprised with draft capital, you know, whether at the running back or wide receiver position, some of these second round guys, we weren't necessarily projecting to go this high. So I think you kind of weigh all of that to say, but a lot of times, just if I'm going to blanket statement this, it's, it's take best player available, and I'll kind of figure out the rest. I like what Ben said about this rookie class being flatter, uh, even yeah. after the draft. And I think that makes this a good year to try to trade down in rookie drafts if you can. Like, I don't see a ton of difference between, you know, I don't know, say 1-2 and 1-5 or, you know, 1-10 and 2-0-2. And so if you can find someone in your league willing to move up, I think this is a good year to trade down because I, I do agree it's pretty flat. We will not be working any trades today because we have about 53 minutes to run through two rounds, and it doesn't really matter because we're not playing out these teams. I did notice that Jared said 1-2 through 1-7, so let's go ahead and get this draft started with the 101. That's going to be Derek. We're going to go be going, you know, just in the same order over and over again. Derek's first, I'm second, Ben's third, Jared's fourth. I'm assuming that Jared randomized this and not that uh, Derek and I paid him under the table before it started. <laughs> but let's go ahead and start talking to people about these specific players that we alluded to. Debro, tell us who is the first pick off the board. I'm going to go with the first guy off the top of my board, and I know a lot of people are expecting me to say Brees Hall here, but I, I like Drake London. He's the 101 for me currently. Um, and and you could say all the things you want to about Atlanta as a landing spot, Marcus Mariota. He's walking into a fantastic situation where he's going to be able to possibly lead this team in targets. I mean, you're looking at even passing volume, like 120 targets is not crazy, maybe even plus that if Atlanta surprises us with their passing rate. Um, I know a lot of people will take Breeze here 101, but in a lot of different situations, if Drake London hits that type of ceiling or that volume expectation, one, he's going to gain equity in year one. And I don't have to worry about his volume, whether and Ben was talking about these running backs. They're not on like smash spots. None of them have landed in spots where we can just 
adamantly project 110% they're going to get this massive freaking workload and be on a top 5 to 10 offense. So give me a wide receiver in this spot and a guy who I think, one, gets the volume, and two, probably gain a good bit of equity after his rookie season. I certainly can't argue with the case for Drake London. I am happy that you passed on Brees Hall for the second spot because I think there's a whole lot of separation between him and the rest of the running back class. I like Kenneth Walker as a player. I don't love the landing spot. I don't love that we didn't get the receiving in college, and I hate everything else about the running back class. There are certainly guys that make sense here and there, but nobody else is anywhere close. And I think if you look at basically any – running back prospect model that I've come across so far. Brees Hall is up there with Jonathan Taylor and other top running backs in recent years. So he doesn't just look good versus this class. He looks good versus other strong prospects in recent seasons. I like the landing spot with the Jets. I suppose going to Houston could have been better. Maybe one could argue Atlanta would be better. I think that's at least comparable. I don't think Michael Carter is a big challenge to Brees Hall either right away or long term. So I love the landing spot there. I think he's going to get big workloads right away. Uh, and I love getting Brees Hall wherever I can toward the top of rookie draft this year. So is that your official pick, Brees Hall? That is my pick at number okay. two. And he, yeah, I thought it was your picks. I thought it was like a B plus landing spot for Brees Hall. Like I, I, I think Atlanta and Houston would have been better just because I'm on volume. And like I think if he had gone to either of those two spots, you know, he would have gotten more volume. To me, the big question with the Jets, and it's the same question with Garrett Wilson, is, you know, what's Zach Wilson going to become? You know, if he hits, everyone in that offense benefits. If he doesn't, they're going to have to start over a quarterback in two or three years. But if he doesn't, I think that they're going to replace it sooner than later. I don't think you get three years to show that you stink at quarterback this year. And, uh, yeah. you know, Atlanta, I think, has at least as good a receiving back in Cordero Patterson as Michael Carter is. Houston is, I don't know, it's something short of a dumpster fire, but I'm not sure how far short of it it is so I, I you know maybe one of those would be a better spot i i like the the jets landing spot houston short of a dumpster fire burning. i think they're beyond dumpster fire i don't know what what comes after dumpster fire but we got a whole landfill on fire there i'm gonna take uh Traylon burke's third i this i mean i think this is where we're getting into certainly it being very flat and i would probably be looking to move back and trying to get Burks a little further back. But for me, he's right there. And I actually think these three guys are sort of a half tier above the rest. So I like, you know, being at third from, for this exercise from my own personal rankings, but Burks, you know, obviously we got the draft day trade of AJ Brown, the ways that the, that the Titans use Brown on play action over the middle on in breaking routes, Burks actually was really good. I mean, there's a lot of talk about, a lot of his work coming from, uh, you know, out of the backfield, around the line of scrimmage, maybe being a little fraudulent, this and that. He was very good on slants. He was very good on in-breaking routes. He was very good on goes. He was not as good on, like, outs and hitches and like, specific types of routes. But what they're going to want him to do really o- overlaps with what he did well statistically at Arkansas. And then you just look at his, like, more traditional profile, sort of the older school analytical stuff. You have multiple years of high-level production. He's an early declare comes out of the SEC with this really impressive age-adjusted you know, receiving profile. I don't care about the, <clears throat> the concerns that, like, oh, he was used too much as, like, a gadget player or what have you. I mean, I think that actually lends itself to being uh, sort of a positive where, like, long-term, he's shown that he can succeed in various ways and in various different roles. 
So I'm pretty excited about him going forward. I don't obviously love the offense for pass volume. I never loved it for AJ Brown, who's one of my favorite players. But I do like having plenty of exposure to Burks uh, in these rookie drafts. And of course, that whole the whole offensive scheme can change by next year. Right. So we don't want to overrate that. I, I like the gadget player point. I wonder, Ben, if that's something where it depends on the type of player, where I wonder if it's something we should be concerned about with a player such as Rondale Moore, who's small and fast, and it's a little bit tougher to project into a downfield role in the pros versus a guy like Traylon Burks, who is plenty big to not be a gadget player in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, Burks has the size. He has the weight. He hits. That's another box that I would say from with this sort of old-school analytical profile. The, just that used to be a big a bigger thing, I think, in, in wide receiver analytics in like five years ago. We've seen a lot more lighter receivers come in as we have, you know, DBs not able to make contact as much and um, more spread offenses, more room for receivers to run around. But I still like 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 the heavier receivers like out of – you know, out of fashion, but I still like the fact that he's a big receiver. He has the adequate athleticism. He showed yak ability both on those targets near the line of scrimmage and on downfield targets. He was really strong in uh, on yak on 10 plus air yard pass attempts, downfield passes, which is one of the things I uh, have always loved about AJ Brown's profile, this ability to catch the ball down the field and still add yak. I mean, yak is something that is sort of inverse relate, uh, correlated with the uh, average depth of target or what the actual depth closer to the line of scrimmage, you, you have more room to pick up Yak. It wasn't just that Burks was picking up all this yards after the catch around the line of scrimmage. He's also doing it down the field in traffic. That's that size element, right? So I'm right there with you. I think he can definitely play down the field as well as adding something around the line of scrimmage as opposed to just being limited to that line of scrimmage production. Mm-hmm. And it's just fun to say Yak anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> Jared, who's our fourth pick here? Uh, it's going to be Garrett Wilson for me. Um, you know, Second <clears throat> wide receiver off the board in the NFL draft. 10th pick overall, he Wilson, along with Drake London, just the, the fourth and fifth wide receivers over the last five NFL drafts to get top 10 draft capital. Um, I, I like his fit in Michael Fleur's offense. You know, Kyle Shanahan tree, they like getting the ball to their players to pick up that yak. Uh, I think that that's something Wilson can do. Um, again, the biggest question to me is, is, is Zach Wilson, you know, whether he's the answer. Um, I'm not super concerned about the target competition for Garrett Wilson. It's a concern for this season, but – Corey Davis signed through 2023. He's easily cuttable next offseason, which I, you know, if Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson hit, I would expect Davis to be gone from New York next offseason. So, you know, longer term. And again, the Jets spent the 10th overall pick on the guy. I think they expect him to become their number one wide receiver. So, you know, long term, there are no volume concerns for me with Garrett Wilson. Derek, how much do questions with Zach Wilson factor in specifically for Garrett Wilson? And I guess more broadly, how much do you consider a QB situation in deciding how much you like a rookie wideout? I mean, you factor it in some, but we see QB situations. I mean, just look at this offseason can change with the drop of a hat. So I, it's in the spectrum of things to look at, but am I super concerned about Zach Wilson? I mean, not to the point where I'm willing to push down Garrett Wilson too far down the board. Uh, maybe like, you know, considering we are talking about this as kind of flat area of the draft, do you want to split hairs and you're looking at that versus uh, one of the players that I'm going to take next? It, you know, it, it comes down to what's your flavor for it. But do I think that Garrett Wilson is a fantastic fit in this offense uh, like Jared was talking about? That's, that's exactly where I kept mocking Garrett Wilson. Like, I wanted him to go to an offense with his yak ability. It was going to get him on short and intermediate routes, crossers, things like that, where he can get the ball in his hands and basically just let him work. 
And Zach Wilson doesn't have to be good to be able to do that. So who's our fifth player off the board here? I'm going to go with uh, my wide receiver two in this class. Uh, I think his upside is ridiculous. Um, I don't think that he's just a field stretcher. Uh, Give me Jamison Williams. Look, Jared Goff might not be a world beater at quarterback, but we've seen him look functional and support weapons in fantasy. And after this year, the Lions are building up this team. And yes, good Lord, I've already been framed as a (laughs) Dan Campbell guy. Um, But honestly, like... This Lions team could surprise some people this year. They have a solid offense around them. They're going to be able to move the ball. Jamison Williams, regardless of what time he plays this year, I think you factor that in. But all he has to do is show a flash of the talent and a flash of the upside to hold, if not maybe gain value this upcoming season. So, you know, depending on your roster build and stuff, and like if you have a rebuilding team versus if you're looking for a guy that like Traylon Burks or somebody like that that falls to this pick for you, do you need that? consistent or at least that that type of production from the get-go or can you wait i mean maybe it's something that you factor in but we're playing dynasty here i mean i'm I'm not worried about the acl long or short term though i bet you didn't realize how big a lions fan you were before you came on the show today did you or at least how i was gonna be painted one and i'm wearing blue (laughs) damn it i'm never gonna live this down (laughs) uh so I, i i i guess i asked it half jokingly on twitter this morning but should it be a slight concern, even no concern at all that Jameson Williams is clearly very unhappy about landing in Detroit. I've seen two pictures of him now being introduced as a Detroit lion. And both times he looked like he just ate the same draft day cereal as uh, Eli Manning. I think that's just how I think that's just Jameson Williams. I've seen some interviews of him at like, he hasn't come out and said anything. Has he about landing in Detroit? Not that I, I know of. Space I just think he doesn't smile. Him. He just, he just doesn't smile. That's that's all it is. I'm not I'm, I'm not mad at life. Is yeah, that a bad sign for a wideout? These guys can <laughs> the field anyway. That's what you want out of your wideout. <laughs> yeah, I want them to look pissed off. <laughs> we all need right. a little bit of a little bit of diva or crazy or whatever you want to say. I mean, we've seen a lot of a lot of good NFL wide receivers that have that you know that streak in them. All right, we'll raise the dog input for uh, Jamison Williams here. I'm going to make the next pick and I'm looking at the draft sharks rankings here. I don't have a draft war room because I'm running three teams in this draft. If I were just running one team, like in a normal rookie draft, I'd be setting up a draft war room because now you can do that for dynasty drafts, even just for rookie only drafts. So that's a a big advantage here. I'm actually going to reach over a few spots though, in the rankings. I'm going to take sky Moore at this sixth spot. I I can't comfortably say he's going to be better than Chris Olave, but I can say that I feel better about grabbing a guy that I liked heading into the draft who landed with the chiefs over a guy who was similar in my thoughts heading into the draft who landed with the saints. Maybe I'm overrating the two situations, but I like both players. I like the production profile on sky Moore. one on market shares in college, plenty of speed to him left college early, which we like, and of course lands with Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to go ahead and take a shot on him at, at number six. Well, I need that gift where the guy just throws all the papers in the air. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to sit here and say, I was like, I can comfortably say Sky Moore was not going to get back to you. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, would have probably taken him there at seven. The thing about the, about more that I would mention is I think he just has such a high floor in that offense, right? Like this is a productive player. He showed the ability to earn targets. It was at a lower level, but now you're getting into an offense with Patrick Mahomes. You have, you know, Travis Kelsey on the offense. It's not like Sky Moore is going to attract a bunch of attention. They got a lot of other 
you know, receivers there as well. So maybe there's a little bit of concern in terms of like how many routes he might run right away, but adequate draft capital. He's actually the first non-power five wide receiver uh, early declare to be drafted in round two or higher since Devonte Adams. So we don't get a lot of these non-power five guys to get the, you know, the, the information from the NFL that they can early declare and they will have this type of draft capital very frequently. And so that's a, also a very positive sign. Gotta love more with, you know, with his production profile and everything he did, but I still would have taken Kenneth Walker over Sky Moore, and I will take Kenneth Walker here. I, don't necessarily love Kenneth Walker. I'm a bit of a Seahawks fan and don't necessarily... Actually, I would say I do like Kenneth Walker more than I love the fact that the Seahawks decided to draft Kenneth Walker. Uh, I don't know what the Seahawks are doing from a team-building perspective. Neither do they. Completely unnecessary pick. And then to, to leave this draft without even taking a shot at QB and giving yourself at least a look at someone in 2022 and then, you know, presumably they're waiting until 2023, but... Why not take more opportunities when the quarterbacks dropped in this in this uh, class to at least get a look in 2022 at something and see if he could be the future of your franchise? Anyway, they decided to take another running back. They still have Rashad Penny, who they brought back, who's very productive, but also, we know, has had a hard time staying healthy. I'm not super concerned about Walker's pass-catching ability. We've seen that a lot with Big Ten running backs. We saw it with Jonathan Taylor. saw it with Melvin Gordon back in the day, guys that – and especially in that conference in the cold weather games, they just love to run the ball back behind some big offensive linemen. It's just sort of Big Ten football. But Walker has, you know, the big thing during draft season was that he caught a lot of passes in high school. But he's got the explosiveness. He's got the athleticism. Even if he doesn't catch a ton of passes, he's got he, – he goes into an offense that we know will run the football. He's going to get plenty of touches. He's going to get plenty of opportunity uh, to create some big plays. It's a little bit of a crowd of backfield. Chris Carson's coming back as well. But especially in dynasty and in rookie drafts, you don't have to be that good at running back as long as you do a couple of things and get some solid uh, opportunity in year one, which I think he's definitely in line for with the draft capital they they spent on him. And your value kind of just like immediately goes up because we know in fantasy getting volume matters and the market reacts that way. Like I, I would argue Najee Harris was not that great last year, but his massive workload means that he's a first round pick this year. Kenneth Walker's not going to be in that position, but he, his value is going to be very solid. And I don't mind, you know, taking an early second round running back, even if I don't love the spot of the offense at this point in a rookie draft, because I do expect that, you know, his value is going to be fine over the next year, at least. And then, you know, maybe after year one, you're looking at trading out of him if you're not a huge fan, but uh, he's certainly worth the one Oh seven in my mind. Wasn't Kenneth Walker just the step in this long game that we should have seen coming in the off season where Seattle went zero quarterback and threw a lot of money at Will Disley. I mean, they, it was yes. all building to this. Yes. And it's gross. <laughs> Pete, Pete Carroll has not evolved. The NFL has evolved over the last decade a lot. We all know that. Pete Carroll has not. He's he's stuck in 2010. I'm still waiting to find like a shirtless Pete Carroll pick uh, when he's hugging Kenneth Walker. Somebody let me know if y'all come across that. Jared, who we have at eight? Yeah, I'm gonna um, kick the quarterback can down the road at least one more pick. I'm gonna go uh, Chris Olave here. Um, you know, he was clearly my fifth wide receiver pre-draft like definitely below the top four but also clearly above you know the rest of the pack kind of in his tier in a tier of his own there um you know got good draft capital in the middle of the first round um clear path to you know at least number two wide receiver duties in new orleans michael thomas is kind of locked in there barring a trade until 2024 
So I don't really see a path to Olave taking over as the lead guy there anytime soon. Um, but I kind of always thought he was best in the NFL as a number two. You know, he, he's on the light side, not going to offer much after the catch, but he's an awesome route runner, can make plays downfield, which mesh, uh, meshes well with Jameis Winston. I, I just think Olave is a, a floor pick. You know, I don't think he has a massive ceiling, but I think he's a safe pick. I also think he's NFL ready. I expect him to make a pretty nice impact this season. So he's a guy who should, you know, grow in dynasty value over the next six or so months. Derek, why don't you hit us with the pick at number nine? Yeah, I'm going to kick the uh, quarterback can as well. Um, I'm going to bump this another pick. I'm going to go with Christian Watson. Um, I, obviously, we love the landing spot with Green Bay. Uh, he, he's a guy that I've, I've loved ever since I watched him at the Senior Bowl. And he gets discussed as being a raw prospect. And I understand, like, yeah, he's got some growth to do, but so do a lot of other players. I saw him dust cornerbacks and one-on-ones religiously. I mean, nobody could cover him down in Senior Bowl. So a lot of, like, some of the competition things, even though it's small sample and things like that. And I know this is a hand-in-the-dirt take. But I've seen him play well against the higher competition in those practices. You look at even the metrics and stuff. I mean, his target shares were good. I know that... Um, his dominator is good breakout rate or breakout age as well. You're looking at a guy that even if we b- jumble all the FCS and FBS wide receivers together last year um, with wide receivers of 50 or more targets, he led the nation in yards per route run. So even though he's not an early declare, I like the landing spot. We know the athleticism. And I think that, you know, he, he has an opportunity competing with Alan Lazard and company to earn targets in year one. I think that's the proper way to address the Green Bay wide receiver core right now. <laughs> Jared, what's the anti um, Christian Watson? Yeah, I mean, I and I don't argue with the upside. Obviously, and you get a guy that big and that athletic, like you know, he he has all the ceiling you could ever ask for. My, my thing with the landing spot is like, yeah, it's a excellent immediate opportunity, but it, is he ready? Is he going to be ready this season to cash in on that? And then long term, I mean, you know. Aaron Rodgers is a year-to-year proposition at this point. So it's like, you know, when Watson is ready, if it's not this year, who's his quarterback going to be? Is that a concern for either of you guys that we don't know how much longer Aaron Rodgers will be around? No. I mean, it's not for me. I mean, you could say that about damn near any quarterback in a lot of these situations outside of, like, Patrick Mahomes and such. Mm -hmm. So, no, it's not how I'm factoring it. All right. On to pick number 10. I think – it's never a comfy move, but I think this is an okay spot to go ahead and take the first quarterback in a super flex format. I think it's certainly noteworthy that we went nine picks in a rookie super flex draft and none of the quarterbacks came off the board, but I'll go ahead and reluctantly take Kenny Pickett. I didn't think heading into the draft that there was separation between him and the rest of the QB class. The NFL clearly said otherwise. He went two rounds ahead of anyone else. I think that if they are all starting at some point, he is probably not the highest upside player. But when we have one first round quarterback, three more in round three, and then another in round five among the guys that we thought were the top four or five guys going in, one is clearly the best bet to start at some point. And that's basically what I'm banking on with Pickett. From a fantasy standpoint, he's not a schlub if he gets onto the field. He can move some, he can run the ball enough to give us some rushing value. So, you know, we're not talking about Joe Flacco fantasy wise. Um, not excited, but uh, Kenny Pickett's going to have some super flex value. I think that makes a lot of sense for the reasons Jared said at the beginning where 110 to kind of 202, this range feels really, really flat. I would have taken Pickett if you wouldn't have taken him. And now I'm like, there's probably five guys that I can make a case for right now. I'm going to take George Pickens going to the same Steelers 
Steelers have a pretty good history with wide receiver draft picks, obviously. Pickens has a really interesting profile, was very good in the SEC as a true freshman, a rough sophomore year, but then tears his ACL, misses basically all of his junior year, comes back, plays just sparingly in the in the college football playoff, but definitely got the early production and that that sort of peak early season that mean like in my mind it look, makes him look like a, a true upside player. It's also far enough into the past that we don't necessarily know if he's back to that player or will be that player. It seems like a, a definite boom bust pick, but there, I think there's some legitimate boom here. I think he's a solid pick in this range. I mean, like I said, I think he can make a case for like four or five guys here. I would rather take Pickens at like 202 if I can get him there in different in different leagues. But he's he's the top guy on my board right here. I don't think it necessarily correlates to whether to take Pickens, but what do we think about Chase Claypool's near future in dynasty terms? I I, I don't think he can be thrilled based on the way that they approach the draft. Um, I, I mean, I think... And we have the concern last year as well. Some of the off-field stuff we have, even going back to his rookie year, he he's fantastic in the early part of the year. And then they're like rotating him out. Tomlin's had these quotes and these comments that they don't really trust him as a full-time player, or they don't necessarily buy into that last year. I'm obviously referring to the game. I think it was in Minnesota where they're trying to, you know, stop the clock late. He catches a pass in the field of play and he's sort of doing a celebration as lineman comes over, grabs the ball to try to get it ready to spike. And then he ends up like sort of flipping out on his linemen. And even after the game, post-game presser, he's still like throwing his teammate under the bus. And it's like, dude, you were the one that wasn't aware. I mean, have you ever seen a Larry Fitzgerald tape? Every time that guy catches a ball in the field of play and the clock's running, he's sprinting to put the ball where it needs to be so they can hurry up and get it spiked. Like you have to get that, you know, every second counts mentality there. And and I'm like an hour later in his post-game press conference, he still doesn't understand why his teammate was doing that. You know, he thinks he's like showing him up. I, I think the team is legitimately concerned about Claypool in terms of like long-term stuff. And so, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I still think Claypool's a really talented player, but I, I'm obviously the pick of Pickens, similar player style, right. right? Outside receiver, vertical player. I think it's a bad sign for Claypool. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. And you know, we have uh, Deontay Johnson heading into a contract year this yep. year. Claypool signed for two more years, but I'm with you, Ben Pickens, is definitely you know more of a Claypool replacement as that bigger outside wide receiver. So I, I definitely think it's a concern at least for Claypool's future in Pittsburgh. And how uh, we just watched that. AJ Brown and Marquise Brown get traded by surprise. So yeah. we can't look at any of these situations and figure for sure that these young receivers are going to stick around for the long term and, and affect the situation. I think what they do with Deontay Johnson is going to kind of tell us how they feel about Chase Claypool. If they move on from Deontay. Yep. and believe Claypool can be like their number two or at least, you know, something competent to to pair with George Pickens, then then we feel a little bit better about Claypool. But if they sign Deontay long-term, they're like, ah, Pickens can step up as the number two, and then whoever's the three is the three. So, Jared, who's closing yeah. out round one here for us? Yeah, so Pickens would have been my pick uh, if he had made it to me at 112. I'm, I'm going to settle for Jahan Dotson. Um, and I, I think settle's a good word. I'm not, like, super excited about it. But, I mean, to get – a wide receiver who went 16th overall in the NFL draft at, you know, 112 in a dynasty rookie draft. I think it's solid value. Um, I could say a lot of the same things about Dotson, as I said about Olave. Like, I don't think he's a high upside prospect, but I do think he's pretty safe. He's pretty NFL ready. I think he's one of the better route runners in this class. Super reliable hands. He might have the best hands in this draft class. You know, has a big catch radius for a guy of his size. Finds, you know, decent immediate opportunity. I think he'll, you know, at least be a top three wide receiver on that team. We'll see how Curtis Samuel works out this season. Um, so yeah, not, not an exciting pick, 
but I think it's fair value here. And again, I think he's, you know, he's, I, I, I think the bust potential with Dotson is lower than with a lot of these other guys in this range. Is the only reason that we aren't more optimistic for Dotson that he stuck around in college for a fourth year? For me, it's the size. He's, he's just small. Um, and I think that, that, you know, probably prevents him from being like a target hog, number one wide receiver as a pro. Also Carson Wentz. Like, also is Carson it, Wentz. Is it good at <laughs> football? Right. As bad as Wentz is, uh, Dotson might feel like he's in heaven considering like <laughs> the balls that Sean Clifford threw him at freaking Penn right. State. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah, Penn State's been a little late at quarterback for a little bit now. Derek, what's horrible. starting off round two for us? Uh, I'm going to start with James Cook here. Um, now, I know that, you know, Beans come out and talk about him as being a sub back and things. The, the way I look at James Cook, and he he jumped up massively in my ranks. I mean, we didn't know what his draft capital was going to look like. Third, maybe fourth round, we heard team NFL teams were high on him. The Bills have screened all offseason that they want a passing down back. The thing about it is, is that Singletary's gone next year. James Cook has the upside to operate in the Singletary role that we saw down last season. Now, is that how I'm projecting him? No, but even if you're projecting him just to play snaps on passing downs... For for a team, and I keep hearing this, like, okay, well, he's just a passing down back. For a team that's going to throw the damn ball at a top three neutral pace clip in the NFL, that's fine by me if he's playing 65% of neutral snaps because they throw the ball religiously. So I'll take the upside pick on James Cook. Um, is he a guy I loved coming into the process? No, but the draft capital and his role are things that I think we need to adjust for. I think this is a has been an interesting situation since free agency. The bills have not been a great spot for pass catching backs, but they clearly hit this off season trying to find that type of player. They tried to add JD McKissick. It didn't work out. They fell back to Duke Johnson. They clearly didn't let that go and drafted James cook and have talked about him being able to catch passes. And I mean, kind of to your point, but also building off it, maybe they're primarily liking his receiving, but it's not like he's joining a backfield that has a workhorse runner and he's just going to be like tugging at Devin Singletary's arm, hoping he can get touches. There's, you know, there's room for if James cook happens to be the best runner here to get some carries as well. Yeah. Well, if you listen to that entire Brandon Bean press conference and there were, you know, there were multiple questions asked of him about James cook, but my, you know, my takeaway was, the Bills know he's an excellent pass catcher and he's going to come in and make an immediate impact in that department. And then it's like, we'll see how how effective he can be on the ground, whether he can outplay Devin Singletary. So, so they're definitely open. So, you know, even probably even making him the lead runner, he's not going to be an 18 carry per game guy, but I think they're open to, you know, giving him, you know, 12 to 14 carries a game and then doing a bunch in the passing game too. So there, to me, there's a bunch of upside there and, you know, with that, but then he's also safe because he's, as locked into a role as a rookie can be like cook cook seems like, you know, he's already penciled into that pass catching role. So I'm up next. I don't think that I can take the second quarterback after taking the first quarterback off the board. And obviously it's a different situation here. Cause I know I'm going to pick again soon, but normally even if it were just pick two Oh two in a draft and I weren't picking again until round three, I don't think I'd go quarterback here because I'm too big a fan of Rashad white and it doesn't really matter so much at this point, Jared, but in our pre-draft rookie rankings that were, you know, just kind of for display before we put out the real ones after the draft, I wish that I had put Rashad White third among running backs because that's where I liked him coming out of looking at all of them before the NFL draft. He 
He is a good runner, not a stellar runner. He was a high-volume receiver in college. He brought plenty of speed in the pre-draft testing. The size is fine. Six foot, 214 pounds, 99th percentile relative athletic score. So a guy that can play, a guy that got to Arizona State and quickly grabbed a large chunk of the backfield. Now he lands in a Tampa backfield that, you know, clearly they want Leonard Fournette to be the lead guy for now. Leonard Fournette has not been the picture of health over the course of his NFL career. So there's some immediate opportunity there. Maybe the number two back right away is Keyshawn Vaughn. The Bucs haven't, you know, been the best at letting uh, young running backs in right away. Maybe that's been a function of not having guys who are earning it. Maybe it's them being hesitant. I don't know. We'll see about Rashad White competing with Keyshawn Vaughn, but I'm certainly not excited about Keyshawn Vaughn as a player. So I think there's immediate opportunity. I think that there could be opportunity for carving out a regular role beyond this season, even if Leonard Fournette is healthy. And I like Rashad White, the player. We'll see where the quarterback situation goes, but I want to be connected to Rashad White to see what he does in the NFL. Yeah, I just I just didn't know how the NFL was going to view Right. White, like I, you know, I, two, you know, only two years in a major, you know, D1 program. I, I, he went higher than I expected him to go, and I, I love that. That was kind of the only missing piece from his profile. I, I, I talked about pre-draft. Basically, any receiving metric I look at, he was the best running back in this entire class. So he has that going for him. He has the size and athletic and athleticism to be a, a lead runner. So, um, you know. White's, you know, I, I, I like the Cook pick. I have him slightly above White, but, you know, White has a higher ceiling to me than James Cook because I think he can be that, you know, volume ball carrier. Yeah, I think you guys both said that really well. <clears throat> I Part of why I was struggling with Pickens, I do think Cook probably should go ahead of White, but I want to take White ahead of Cook. White is the – I mean, this is like a perfect fit. You talk about the receiving uh, at size, and you look at a guy like – Leonard Fournette and the role he played last year, especially coming down the stretch. Ronald Jones is now gone. I, I've been reading it as they've never really trusted Keyshawn Vaughn. White is this combination of pass catcher, which is typically at smaller sizes when we see this type of pass catching profile, like you talked about, best in class. It's usually like a sub 200 pound back and a little bit more size and electric, you know, explosive play potential all in one. That's a three down. That's the elite back we want. And if something were to happen to Fournette, I mean, White's going to be one of my favorite handcuffs in redraft this year. Cause yep. something happens to Fournette. There's this three down potential on a Tom Brady offense. that's going to throw to the running back and generate touchdowns. Absolutely. Sign me up. I'm especially glad that they picked him because I've heard the case for Keyshawn Vaughn as very late best ball pick. And I never felt good about it. So now I have another lever to pull instead of just, you know, swallowing it and taking Keyshawn Vaughn. Definitely. And I, at this pick, I mean, I hate it, but I'll just take the next quarterback. I mean, I, I think there's a, a few different ways you could go here. But I'm going to take Desmond Ritter, who would be my next quarterback on the board. Quarterback's a tough position to evaluate. A lot of the guys that do a lot of film work that I tend to trust their opinions on it ha had very similar opinions on Ritter, which was essentially that he's a very good processor pre-snap through the snap, gets through his progressions, understands football understands how to tilt things in his favor the big issue or the big question mark is his accuracy and that is the single most important trait leading into the nfl uh for a quarterback to to translate you need to be able to be more, be accurate to handle the faster game speed he has some concerns there i think there's a little bit of a different differing opinion between some different from di different people in terms of how bad his accuracy is whether it's a fatal flaw essentially the landing spot you can't argue with right he goes to atlanta 
They do have Mariota. I think Mariota you know, was a solid upside bet for Atlanta, but there's a pretty good shot that Atlanta's number one, not going to be very good this year. And then number two, that means that Ritter's going to get an opportunity late in the year because they want to find what, out what they have in him. And in a super flex league, I mean, you're going to gain value basically just by him playing a little bit in your one as long as he's not terrible. And he adds some mobility, which obviously we love in fantasy. It's a nice, easy second round pick in, in super flex rookie drafts. Yeah, I like Ritter second among these QBs too. I think the big thing that he has over Malik Willis and Matt Corral is he spent four years starting at Cincinnati. And, you know, it's not, it didn't start out as being a great level of competition, but the program rose while he was their starter, which, you know, tough to say whether he caused it, whether he was there for it. I got to think that he was at least a big part of it. So I wish that he had gone anywhere ahead of round three, because that's the stuff that I heard too, is the positives for him as a processor and it would have I would have really liked if some team at least in early round two said all right we see the flaws similar to Jalen Hurts but we're going to go ahead and take a shot here and see what happens round three makes me a little bit more hesitant but you know yeah. among these quarterbacks still tons of upside to him I will say with that round three thing it's at least notable they took him over Willis right it's like Atlanta was almost waiting for Willis to come off the board and then eventually they were like we actually are just going to take Ritter here because we don't want to see a run and so I mean they, they seem to be it offsets that a little bit. They seem to be high on him, right? Mm-hmm. Jared, who we got next? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Malik Willis here, who, who is still my quarterback, too, in this class for fantasy. And, you know, maybe Desmond Ritter is going to end up being the better real-life quarterback. The Falcons obviously think so. But I, I, you know, I think Willis, obviously, with the rushing ability. And, yes, there are lots of passing concerns. But the one thing he was good at as a passer in college was throwing deep. He, he earned some strong PFF passing grades on, on passes 20 plus yards on field. So you give me a nice deep passer and a guy who, you know, you know, should be what a top five, maybe top three rushing quarterback as soon as he gets the field. Like I'm, I'm obviously not confident that Willis is going to succeed as a long-term NFL starter, but I'm confident that when he's on the field, he's going to produce yeah. very well for fantasy. What's your concern about Tana? Like what's your level of concern? What, what is the optimistic timeline for Willis starting? I think I think 2023. Um, yeah. Tannehill is like I think he's 35 or 36, and he has like a 36 and a half million dollar cap hit next season. And Tennessee can get out of that relatively easily. You know, pretty pretty low dead cap number. So um, I think it's very possible that Willis is, is starting next season. As a 42 year old, I say he's got a lot more years to him. Um, <laughs> Derek, what do we have next off the board here? Uh, I like the quarterbacks that just came off the board. I don't disagree with any of those uh, picks. Uh, the guy that I'm going to go with, and there's a few different guys I could talk myself into. Um, we're in an interesting bucket of like, do you believe draft capital? Are you looking at landing spots? There's a few different guys. I'm going to go with Alec Pierce, um, considering that the Colts, he's a size speed guy. He checks a lot of boxes for what they look look at and, and wide receivers. Um, I'm not immensely, immensely high on him, but you look at it. He got the second round capital. He's going to a passing offense where he conceivably can easily be the second option there and earn targets in year one. Um, We know his ability to stretch the field. You saw over the back half of the last season with Cincinnati um, from a lot of people that analyze wide receivers better than I ever can by looking at yards per route run and all that kind of stuff. But with Pierce, the athleticism's there. And for people I trust, he, he... Changed up his releases, got a little bit better in short and intermediary routes last year. He's a guy that I think that we still haven't seen possibly the best that he can offer. So I'll take the upside swing. Yeah, and Jared, I think that 
Alec Pierce is a player that you liked heading in, that I liked some heading in, and I think that the landing spot is not necessarily a reason to boost him, but it's like one more check to help a guy that you already wanted to like heading in, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the big thing to me is that he went in round two. Um, P- Pierce was a guy I just I wanted to rank higher than like my process said he should be ranked. Like, yep. Analytically, he's not great. He's a four-year college player. Didn't have great market shares. The PFF receiving grades weren't great. But I just liked the tape. Uh, he he's just was an exciting player to me. I think he's going to make big plays. I think he's going to be a threat in the red zone. You know that's stuff we like in fantasy football. So. I was just happy he got the draft capital that I think is going to, you know, help him get and stay on the field. For me, like he enters a a weird bucket of all these second round guys. Like, and what are your thoughts on him versus these other guys? Like, what are you telling yourself versus Wandell? Okay. Well, he got the capital, but the, the size and the, I mean, honestly, it was a little bit like of a draft pick by the giants. We were like, what the hell are they doing? (laughs) Then you get John Mechie, who is a guy that I don't look at as being anywhere the range of outcomes for him, I think, is very narrow. I look at him as a floor pick. Um, yeah. I don't look him at, at him as a ceiling guy. You could poke holes in his his prospect profile. Same thing with Tyquan Thornton. And and if you don't go with any one of these wide receivers in the second round bucket, it's like okay, well then I'm talking myself into a third or fourth round running back. So just out of these guys, I, I, he's. It, he's the guy I'll put my chips in on just considering the other options there, because you really could talk yourself into any one of these second round wide receivers. I think you nailed it. That you know Pierce has the highest fantasy ceiling. If he hits among all those guys, you just, just mentioned. I'm going to go ahead and follow my draft strikes rankings here and take the next quarterback, Matt Corral, who like you expect for a third round quarterback. I'm not excited about individually, but landing spot for him might be as good as anybody because he probably has the best shot to start this year, maybe even versus Kenny Pickett. All he has to do is be better than Sam Darnold and wouldn't even be the first third plus round quarterback that we've seen start right away. Dak Prescott started right away from that range. Russell Wilson started right away from that range. Matt Corral's in the right spot for that to be an option. It seems like a guy that maybe had some off-field issues early on, but was lauded for his maturity and leadership lately. I don't know how much that matters in fantasy, but it's the kind of thing that could help him get onto the field for especially a Carolina coaching staff that is probably fighting for its life in this offseason. If he gets on the field, he gets DJ Moore. He gets whatever version of Robbie Anderson is around. He gets Christian McCaffrey. He gets at least the physical ability that Terrace Marshall has. We'll see about him as an NFL receiver. But the point is, it's it's overall a solid spot to be in. Similar to Pickett, Corral can run some. I don't think that he's going to be a runner. I think he's I think his rushing is probably in the neighborhood of like what we've gotten from Dak Prescott as an NFL runner, or, you know, maybe even lower, maybe Carson Wentz level, but enough to give us something in the 150 to 200 yards range a year, enough to escape and extend plays. And mostly I like getting a quarterback in the middle around two with at least some upside players around him on the offense. Yeah, I think this is the right spot for Corral in, in a yeah. super flex league. He, he should kind of be going in that Ritter-Willis tier. I think they're all pretty tightly bunched. I'm going to go tight end. I don't know if we're calling this tight end premium or, or premium or not, but at this point I do think Trey McBride needs to come off the board, even if it's not. I mean, I think he has a really strong profile. You obviously have to be a little bit concerned about Zach Ertz, but this is an offense that is showing a willingness to be more spread. They're an offense that has used, I mean, even last year with Ertz, used him basically as a stand-up slot receiver quite a bit. 
They're going to move their personnel around in different ways. I don't know that McBride 2022 outlook is fantastic. I do think long-term, obviously, Ertz is not going to be that guy, and he's tied to a good offense. He's tied to Kyler Murray, um, presumably a good offense, assuming that Cliff Kingsbury you know, lasts several more years. But um, you know, a spread offense that he's kind of working his way into takes a little longer for most tight ends. He's a has a really strong profile, though, and I'm, I'm excited about essentially that Arizona, I guess, had some comments they were looking to move back, but b- because McBride was there, they basically decided they could not pass him up at that spot. I mean, they, they clearly like him, and he's, a, I think, an easy pick as you get to the later second. Yeah, I think looking at the Zach Ertz block might actually help Trey McBride be a value in rookie drafts because people might be concerned about that, but it lines up with the concern with rookie tight ends is that they don't usually produce right away, so... It's kind of a nice fit on that front. Jared, who's the next player here? I'm going to go Damian Pierce here. Um, you know, college production, definitely a concern, was stuck in a committee throughout his four years at Florida. Although, you know, that Florida coaching staff has, has since been fired. So, you know, tells you what we should think about their decisions. Um, you know, Pierce was a big winner in terms of yards after contact per attempt, missed tackles forced per attempt. He led all running backs in PFF receiving grade or sorry, PFF rushing grade last year, and also caught 36 balls over his final two seasons at Florida. So, you know, he has lead back size. Again, again, he was good in all the, you know, advanced rushing stuff, and I think he can do some stuff in the uh, passing game for Houston. Wide open depth chart there. You know, Marlon Mack, I think, is Pierce's only legitimate competition. Um, so Pierce is a guy who could, you know, return a profit for you in year one. Derek, what do you got next for us? I love the Pierce pick. I'm going to go... Again, it really comes down to draft capital and upside. I'm going to go with one of my guys here. I'm going to go Jalen Tolbert. Uh, I know that he he didn't go in the second round versus some of these wide receivers, but good offense. Um, Yeah, they have Gallup and they have Lamb and stuff there, but I think that he carries a high ceiling. Uh, You look at it, he checks a lot of different boxes. He's not an early declare, but again, we're talking about non-Power 5. You don't really see that out of these smaller school guys. But he checks a lot of the other boxes. The guys that come out of smaller schools, what do you want to see them do? Uh, you want to see them just dominate. And that's what he's done over the last year's yards per route runner solid, um, as well as the dominator. So I'll just follow the talent. I'm going to reach over round two wide receivers as well. And I'm going to take a running back that I liked a bit heading in, was waiting to see draft capital. It didn't line up great, but the landing spot helps him out. It's Tyler Algier from BYU. Uh, The first thing I like about him is he's the kind of guy that I want to bet on. He got to school as a walk-on, not a scholarship guy. Middle of college, he earned a scholarship from BYU. Then he took over as a workhorse in the backfield and contributed not only as a runner, but as a receiver. Caught 42 passes over the final two seasons, 28 in his final season. Really like a true workhorse season in that final campaign, 1,601 yards rushing, 28 for 199 receiving, 23 touchdowns on the ground. He's not the fastest. 5'11", 221, though, gave him an above-average speed score. And, of course, the landing spot in Atlanta gives him immediate opportunity. And maybe more than anywhere else, immediate opportunity at running back can mean an immediate spike in perceived value. So... There is potential for him to be a guy that helps me over the next few years. There's also potential for him to be a guy who looks more valuable a year from now, a la Elijah Mitchell. And then I flip for something of greater value in fantasy in dynasty. Yeah, I, I like it. I think, although I, I keep looking at our rankings on draft tracks and just wondering if we're a bit too high 
on this guy. I mean, it, it, you know, he was he was a fifth round running back. He was the twelfth running back off the board. Yeah. So I I want to be careful not to overrate landing spot. But I I did like him. You know, I had him like RB eight, I think, pre draft. So I liked him better than where he went. And you know, the landing spot doesn't really get much better as far as immediate opportunity. So I mean, you know, late late second round, I and, think it's, it's it's fine. And I mean, they cut Mike Davis right away. I mean, yeah. I think they they kind of told you what they see in him. I, it it is even though he had a landing spot. Or excuse me, draft capital typically is like what what type of early opportunity are they going to get? I think it's really easy to make the case that we can set that aside a little bit and Algier's going to get 100 to 150 carries in year one immediately. So it's like, sure. you know, it's kind of offsetting a little bit in my mind. Yep. I'm going yeah. to uh, David Bell here. Getting that third round draft capital was pretty huge for him. Uh, obviously, the 40 time, the athleticism was all in question throughout the process. But his profile is otherwise like, fantastic and the fact that you know he didn't fall into day three which was a concern and he goes to an offense uh in cleveland with the browns that has number one available opportunity is going to have a long-term good quarterback he's basically their replacement for jarvis landry jarvis landry is one of the biggest comps you'll get as sort of an unathletic big time producer age adjusted producer in college i think he's a really nice value as a guy that's going to probably have a high floor he's going to be able to earn targets he's going to be able to catch passes Again, doesn't have the athletic ceiling to have like big, uh, you know, after earning the target efficiency, this yards per target, this TD rate type efficiency. But I think he's going to earn volume and and that's going to be helpful. You know, one of those comfortable, high reception type players that is a, a nice pick in late second rounds. Mm hmm. Yeah, I figured you'd go, Bell. That's definitely who I would have liked to have gotten at two two twelve. I agree. I think going round three was a big win for him. Um, you know, at, at two twelve here, I'd I'd be deciding between Wondell Robinson and John Mechie. That draft choice rankings actually have Mechie a few spots higher. I'm gonna ignore those though and go with Robinson, who's just the more fun player to me. Like I just don't see a huge ceiling with Mechie. He's coming off the ACL. He's you know in. The, what did you call it? Uh, been a land, landfill fire there in uh, <laughs> Houston. Um, you know, honestly, the, the size is the only thing missing from Robinson's profile. And it's definitely a concern. Like he is short. He is light. He is like first percentile wingspan. Um, so size is definitely a concern, but he checks every other box, you know, had the big market shares. He started his career at Nebraska, you know, playing like running back. He played a bunch of running back in Nebraska. He got a bunch of carries. I think he can do that in the NFL, got the draft capital, I know the Giants could definitely be an offense on the rise with the new coaching staff there. So, um, yeah, I, I think two twelve is where you can kind of you know start to overlook the the size con size concerns and take a shot on Wandale. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting and fun to watch there. I think David Bell would have been the pick for me, other than Tyler Algier. Close between them, I don't have any problem taking Algier ahead of any of the other running backs on the board, regardless of exactly where they went. Derek, who's your favorite player among guys that didn't get picked in this since that was the last pick around too? Yeah. I mean, one of the guys that honestly I've been, I think is a really good value in Superflex or even one QB, because I think we're so scared about it being an ambiguous backfield and the landing spot and the things we saw last year. And I'm look, I was high on Trace Herman last year. I, I'm not repeating the same mistakes, but the fact that a third round running back has made it this far down the board, I, I love Tyrion Davis Price. The fact that he falls to the late second or early third, he got the capital we wanted. He tested well. I mean, he ran a sub four or five forty. I know a lot of other metrics like yards after contact per attempt. He's kind of eh in that, but you look at his ten yard split and other things that we look at like that correlate with tackle breaking ability. It's really strong. 
there's a, a range of outcomes where he comes in here and he's what they wanted Trey Sermon to be last year. I mean, Elijah Mitchell was not a high pick. I understand that like he had a good season last year, but looking at draft capital, he was constantly banged up in and out of the, the lineup last year and dealing with things like after half of the season, he didn't even practice most of the time because he was still dealing with an injury. I think San Francisco is worried about that and they want to make sure they have a stable core of running backs I was surprised he went this high, but I'm going to listen to the 49ers and say, okay, not trying to fall down the same rabbit hole of last year, but we're not having to pay that at this point. Right. Where he's going in drafts, his draft capital and things like that's not being equated as high as it should be at this point. Like, So I'll, I'll take Davis Price if I had another pick on the board. Yeah, there's a double dose of recency bias at play here with Elijah Mitchell, the way he performed mm -hmm. last year and the way that Trey Sermon from round three for these Niners did not perform. So he's probably going to stay at a value range, and that's certainly a good case for him. Ben, who's your who's a player that you want to highlight among those that did not get picked? Probably my next highest uh, sort of value pick would have been Sam Howell. I just think, I, look. Fifth round is a scary tag. It was the first pick of the fifth round. Uh, I think he's better than Carson Wentz right now. So I think there's a, a possibility that he's playing in year one. There's also concern that they don't even activate him because they still have Taylor Heineke on the on the roster and they think of Heineke as their backup. So, you know, on game days into the season. So certainly concern there. But in, in super flex, you can get such a value rise if he does start and plays well at all for Washington. The guy I would highlight as sort of like the fun pick would be the uh, Romeo. I don't even know how to say his last name. Dobbs, Dobbs. or Dobbs. 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 Okay, there we go. A lot of the other places I've asked, uh, people haven't necessarily known. But Romeo Dubs is another target earner, you know, producer at the college level who goes into Green Bay. We talked about some of the concerns with Christian Watson. He's a guy from a smaller uh, competition level, lower competition level, who didn't produce until he was a little bit older in college. Very athletic, but I think Dubs has the possibility of coming in with his production profile from college and being the guy who's a bigger target earner right away than Watson is. So I like to take him as a as a flyer into the third round for sure. You can check out Ben Gretch's Substack Stealing Signals. You can find him on various podcasts, as we mentioned. Ben, what should people be looking for from you in the coming days and weeks? Same old stuff. Stealing bananas, chip chasing, the Substacks at bengretch.substack.com. I mean... Those are the, the three things that I'm doing. Nice. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me on, guys. This has been a blast. Derek Brown, of course, can be found all over the football coverage at Fantasy Pros these days. Derek, tell us what you're working on. Uh, updating a lot of parts. We have a Dynasty Rookie Draft Guide that's out now live. We have a Best Ball Draft Kit that's coming out next week. So updating some things, still writing some things. And, yeah, all my work's over at Fantasy Pros. You can check me out on the podcast and on the Dynasty podcast sometimes. <laughs> nice thank you for joining us today as well jared i know what you're working on but what do you want to tell people about the year that you're going to be putting out i just wanted to say i'm glad that we didn't make the same mistake as the bears and take Velas jones in this draft that, that makes me happy <laughs> we might have had to do 24 more picks to get to yeah. jones territory i mean I'm, I'm when you can get a guy that's going to be 30 whenever he hits free agency you have to do it right <laughs> yeah but I, i'm a, i'm just starting to work on our full uh post draft projections update and that'll be done within the next couple weeks so you know if you're hopping in these early best ball drafts we'll have our projections fully updated in a couple weeks 
Nice. That is going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. You can find those rookie draft rankings for myriad formats that we have posted in the past few days. You can build your own draft war room to start working with those projections that Jared is busily updating. For Jared Smola and our guests Ben Gretsch and Derek Brown, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.